Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, consistently rated the best and most secure Bitcoin exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy and sell Bitcoin. With 24-7, 365, world-class customer service, you can trust Kraken to support you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Available at kraken.com or via the mobile app, which is available on the Apple and Android app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Warning, this podcast contains adult themes, graphic descriptions of injuries, and loud music. I had broken my back. I had broken my neck. This is Jonathan Vigil, singer for The Ghost Inside. He's explaining the long list of injuries he sustained after the band's tour bus had been in a head-on collision with an 18-wheeler truck. I had this brain injury. I had this huge scar on my head. I had uh, torn my ACL in my knee. My knee was like a balloon. I had broken both ankles, and one was a compound fracture, and it, it my ankle was completely destroyed. And the doctors didn't know, you know, what I was going to do walking-wise. Part three, the recovery. I've always had a positive outlook. I've always been the glass is half full kind of guy. And I've always had this underlying just feeling of things are going to work out, you know, and lucky for me, they, they always have, you know, I've always been able to say, you know, this is hard, or this is difficult, or this is scary, or this is this is overwhelming, but in the end, it's going to work out because it always does. And I've just always held on to that belief ever since I was young. And I've been fortunate enough to where everything, the most part, has worked out the way I wanted it to. And life's going to take its shots at you. Like it's going to be a roller coaster. It's going to have its ups, it's going to have its downs, but it's always going to work out. But after the crash and the vast number of injuries the band suffered, I asked Jonathan if he maintained this confidence throughout his recovery. Honestly, uh, that was the first time in my life where that kind of falters because being in a band and playing music is all I've ever wanted to do. You know, ever since I was young, my, I grew up in a very musical household and I just, I knew I wanted to play music for a living. And when that got just torn away from me, like just out of the blue, you know, like one day, you know, I'm at the peak of of my career, you know, like touring the world, traveling, you know, playing to thousands of people, you know, Everything was good, and then bam, it's gone. The first couple of years after the accident were the were the roughest because it was just a question mark, and it wasn't so much so that it was a question mark on me. It was just a question mark on everything, you know, because there were so many obstacles, so many hurdles that the band had to face in order to get back to just being a band again. You know, I wanted it, but I wasn't sure. And that was the first time in my life where I started to be like, damn, is it is it really going to be okay? Like, is this is this going to be all right? Like, you know, our drummer doesn't have a leg. How are we going to continue? What are we supposed to do? You know, like my, I've been in a, a boot or a cast for nearly two years. Like I've had in and out of surgeries. Like, am I going to be able to perform? Like, is, is this going to happen? Telling this story has given me access to the full details of the crash, the full extent of each band member's injuries, and what they would have to overcome to get back on stage. And as a fan prior to this, I just followed the articles in the press and their updates on social media. And while it was obviously serious, I made the assumption that of course they would be coming back. But now I'm much closer to the story, and I have a much deeper understanding of what happened 
and how close this came to being the end of The Ghost Inside. When I first kind of could grasp what had happened, I, I remember specifically telling my mom, like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't ever want to put myself in this situation. I don't want to ever have to worry about doing this. I don't, I don't want to perform anymore. I don't, I, I don't want it. I want to be done. I got the phone call from Vigil when he was still in the hospital in Texas. So this would have been November or December. This is Jim Riley, bassist for The Ghost Inside. He said, I don't want to do the band anymore. Which he's talked about a bit now, but like he wasn't saying that publicly. He had not said that to Andrew and Zach, but he said to me, like, I don't want to be in the band. I don't want to go on tour. I don't want to do this anymore. If there's no vigil, there's no The Ghost Inside. Even outside of Vigil, there were huge question marks over Andrew, the band's drummer, as Chris Davis, guitarist for The Ghost Inside, explains. I was a bit more optimistic while I was still in El Paso because I thought that there was still a chance that Andrew wasn't going to lose his leg. But when I got home and I got the text that it was that it was happening, I I thought for sure that, that the band was done at that point. Before the band could even think about continuing, they first had to overcome their injuries. And there were a lot. And we're going to start with Andrew, the band's drummer. As you already know, his right leg was amputated above the knee, which itself presented huge challenges, not only for him to get back to drumming, but even just trying to live a normal life. It's 51 different injuries. But I would say the big ones, obviously the uh, right above knee amputation, and there's all the crazy, dude, there's these crazy medical terms like right leg deglovement and stuff. And if you Google what that is, I would recommend not Googling what that is. It's pretty gory. I had a traumatic brain injury where my doctor told me I probably hit my head and I was knocked out cold for a solid 20 minutes. I had a really, really bad shoulder injury um, and that I'm still dealing with as we speak. It was called a slap tear. It's a very common injury that professional MLB pitchers get from pitching baseballs so much. And it's this, uh, I tore my labrum and it's like a little string of meat that just snapped. And I had a piece of bone chip off and it floated down and healed to my scapula. And uh, along with that, I had this injury it's called it's called complex regional pain syndrome and what happened is we have something called the brachial plexus which is this super highway of kind of like fish line thickness of nerves these little string nerves that go from like your neck all the way down your chest and your all the way down to your arm to the end of your fingertips and i I think whatever i whatever happened the accident my this right arm got got really jacked up and i have uh probably what I've accepted a couple years ago is lifelong nerve nerve damage now. I, I've lost mobility in my hand and, and my middle finger, it feels, it's just constantly feels like it's like when your foot falls asleep and it's tingly. So it's really sensitive to the touch, but over the years, I've just kind of gotten used to it and I just put up with it now and somehow it doesn't affect me drumming. I don't know how that works, but I'll take it. I would say that's at this point, that's given me more trouble than my leg amputation. I've got a nice prosthetic that I can get around on. And, you know, I, I tend to drop things a lot. You know, sometimes I'll forget that I have, like, I've lost mobility in my hand. 
and I'll kind of like drop things and be like, shit, and it, it gets frustrating. But I'd say that's the biggest challenge for me currently. Other than that, yeah, I had like a, um, a hip fracture, several broken ribs. Another big one was uh, my spine. I had a T6 burst fracture, and that's uh, your middle, kind of like middle upper spine. And one of the columns literally burst. They said the bone like broke and burst out and like like sharp shards of bone slashed nerves in my back. And so I have um, rods and screws. I had a spinal fusion. I have back problems. I already had bad posture before the accident. So I, I have some back issues now. This is where I probably am most lucky. Because I didn't see my x-rays until maybe a year, year and a half after the accident happened. And when I finally saw my x-rays, my doctor in Grand Rapids said, he, he showed me my spine. He goes, see, he's like, see this column here? And it was kind of shifted to the left, like just a little bit out of line with the rest of my spine. He's like, see how it's left like that? If it would have been over to the left about your pinky width more, you would have probably been a quadriplegic from the chest down forever. Pinky's width. That's one thing that he told me where I was like, I, I'll take what I got right now. I'm lucky. It, it, it's just an example of like, it can always be worse. And I came that close. So I'm, I'm extremely lucky. I also tore my ACL my, and uh, destroyed my meniscus in my right knee. And so I had to get surgery and the rehabilitation on my knee was pretty rough. This is Vigil again, continuing to explain his injuries. My left ankle, I broke and had to get plates and screws put in. But as soon as I was conscious enough, it, it, it's never, never been a problem for me. Never hurt. My back, I, I don't know if I got burned. I broke my back, but I don't know if I got burned or if I got cut or whatever, but I have a eight inch scar and I'm missing like a, a part of my back. Like it just, it's just gone. Like it's like got burned off and I didn't get a skin graft on my elbow. It took skin from my thigh and put it on my elbow because I lost a lot of skin there. Again, don't know if it was from getting burned or, you know, the friction or whatever, but I didn't have any skin on my elbow basically. Even up to... About two years after the accident, I found out I still had blood in my lungs because they were pretty bruised from the trauma. This is Zach Johnson, guitarist for The Ghost Inside. I broke two ribs on my left side. I fractured my L6 and L7 vertebrae in my lower back. Then probably about 60 or 70% of my whole pelvis mostly on my left side, was just shattered. My pelvis took 18 hours to put back together. Then my left hip socket was shattered in five places. My right femur was just as broken as a, that big of a bone can break. All parts of it, it was a full snap. And then my left foot was crushed. I guess it was part of my left side of my left foot was just kind of dangling there and that's kind of that's why I ended up losing part of the foot 
those are like the 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 big more ortho kind of injuries like broken bones and whatever else my actual medical records are like 500 pages long i had uh fractures in both my left and right ankle but i had a what's called a list frank fracture in my right foot which is a is a midfoot fracture this is chris davis again explaining his injuries and then i also had a midfoot dislocation so basically all of the not the toes, but the bones that go back through the middle of your foot all dislocated and shifted to the right. And my foot looked like it was a crumpled up ball. Basically, that, that fracture happens when your foot folds in half. It used to happen to soldiers when they would battle on horseback and the horse would flip over and their foot would get caught in the stirrup. It would snap their foot in half. The scary part about that was is they told me in El Paso that they didn't have a doctor there that was qualified to do that type of repair so at that point I thought I was going to lose my foot um, luckily there was a doctor here in Maryland where I live that kind of specialized in that kind of thing and, and was able to fix it but we then discovered about a year after the accident that my fractured left ankle actually was a little bit more than just a small fracture like they had assumed but my sub tailor joint which is the joint that lets your foot not go up and down, but left and right and kind of shift side to side had completely shattered. So basically, I was having a ton of pain because it was just bone on bone grinding. So I had to go back in and have a, a fusion in that joint in my ankle. So my foot still goes up and down, but I've lost all like left and right and like tilting motion in that foot. For Jim Riley, the basis for the band, the nature of his injuries were quite different. While he sustained a double broken ankle, cuts and bruises, chipped teeth, and a broken jaw, none of these injuries were life-changing and he was able to recover physically relatively quickly. But for Jim, it was the psychological injuries which became his biggest challenge. Usually, like on a regular bus, everyone has the same bunk that they always go to. It is like where they sleep. And because this, the bunks on this bus were configured a bit differently, there was sort of like the day the bus arrives, everyone sort of goes like, oh, well, where am I gonna sleep? Uh, I usually sleep closer to the front as the tour manager so that like if something happens with the bus or the bus driver needs gas money or needs directions or anything, you can kind of just come like knock on your bunk, not disturb everybody and like you can deal with it. For whatever reason, I let Andrew take the bunk that I would have taken. Cause he's a little bit taller than me and he was like oh like there's a little more room in this one or you is that okay and i was like yeah well, yeah of course whatever like so i've always felt a little bit like it should have been me and then you know like i i i take on like a responsibility for like dumb stuff like we left lubbock at the time that i picked you know like we left it whatever it was two or three a.m or whatever time because that's when I said the bus should leave at 3 a.m. so that we can get to Muscruces at 11. And I think, like, what if I had said, let's leave at 4 or let's leave at midnight, and then the accident just never happened? Or the, the tire does still explode, but there's no truck there. So we just sort of, like, you know, the tire skids off and... And we go across the road and we end up in a ditch, but everybody gets up and complains about it. 
and then we make it make our way to Las Cruces, you know, a few hours later after we get a tire put on or something. So like, even just in those details of the minutia that leads to the moment of the accident, like, I know it's not my fault, but I made those decisions and that's what got us there. And then I think too, like, give up a leg for Inter to have his leg for sure in a second. Wrestling with what happened was leading to Jim having issues with his mental health. I don't think I've ever battled with depression prior to this, but I've definitely discovered what that's like through this, that, you know, it's not just like a, you know, suck it up and cheer up thing. And if you haven't experienced it, you can't, like, you can't really imagine what it's like to just be sad and to not be able to escape that and to know that you're sad and that you're in that cycle of depression and still not be able to do anything about it. There's definitely been times where I felt like, what was the point of surviving to like, to only be left with this, like to be left with four best friends who are handicapped for all of the sacrifices that we made through our entire young adult lives for the ghost inside to get where it was only to have all of that taken away. Does that mean that everything I sacrificed, all the weddings, graduations, funerals, all the things that I missed in real life, like to be for not now. And that's, that's something I've, I really, really battled with. There's been a lot of difficult times on the mental health side of things. And even more than physical, like with physical injuries, like you're healing and it trends upward. You tend to get better and you definitely have setbacks. But they like, you know, once Andrew left the hospital, he was never close to being as bad as he was in the hospital physically. But your mental health is not like that. You don't start at like some low point and steadily build upwards. With your mental health, it's like you start at zero and it just bounces up and down through your whole life. So there have been times where I had felt like I was on a great streak and I wasn't even concerned about it. And then you just fall off this cliff and days or weeks later, you're like, this is the, this might be the worst I've ever been. How did I get here? Like, and that is so far removed from the incident itself that it's, it can make you feel like you are spinning out of control, which makes it worse. During the interviews, it became clear that the accident was impacting the mental health of all the band members, but in different ways. And with Vigil, he was knocked unconscious during the crash, and he didn't wake for a month. With this, he avoided having to process many of the things the other band members had to see and live through. For me, not remembering anything is the best thing that can happen. You know, like regular bus night, I woke up and there's a new life. You know, I woke up and things are different. You know, like not having to hear hear everyone's, you know, screams and, and cries and moans and have to go around and, you know, be like somebody else on the bus and identify, go identify our dead driver to the police and, and you know, all this stuff. Like I have none of that. But if going into it, knowing what's going to happen. And I had the option to be like, okay, you can be you and not have any memory, or you could be like, 
you know, Zach who lived with opening his eyes and looking down and seeing his hit the bottom half of his body facing the other way, you know, like, like I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to wake up and look down and see my, my bones outside of my ankle and my ankle just like my foot just turned the other way. You know, I wouldn't want to see that. What Vigil's getting at. And, and I also agree with is that like, he didn't have to be awake to see things like, like I went into Andrew's room before his leg got taken and I, I saw how bad the infection was and I, and I had to see my friends in comas, you know, strapped down to a bed. It, it didn't help. (laughs) It didn't help. Well, it didn't help me on, on a mental level anyway, you know, like, you, you never imagine you're going to have to see anyone you love that way. Going in and seeing Tony, who, like I said, has now been one of my best friends for 13 years, you know, with his leg in traction uh, and strapped down to the bed so that he doesn't, like, move around and exacerbate his injuries and, and in a coma with a tube down his throat. It's like, I've known that guy since I graduated high school. You know, like he's part of the reason that I'm like here today. You know, you start, you start to think like, why, why them? And why not me? And, you know, you start to deal with the, the survivor's guilt already. You know, it's like the, these guys don't deserve this. You know, these are some of the best people I've ever known. What, why is this happening to us? Uh, and, and why is it happening to them specifically? Watching the other guys who were who were in a coma though have all of these life changing things happen to them while they're completely unaware was probably the saddest thing that hopefully I'll ever have to deal with because I can't even imagine a, a lower point than that. I also spoke with Chelsea, Chris's wife, because while it was the band who was in the accident, it was having an impact on the people around them. I think the mental health part of it was by far the hardest part. I mean, the the physical part was really, really tough. Um, when he was recovering physically, you're just more physically tired and it's draining and you're trying to make sure that he's okay. Um, but once he was okay and he was trying to, trying to be okay, it just hit so hard mentally for him it took me months and months and months and months to get over the the mental barriers that that came with the accident for me some of which I st- I'm still dealing with today and I think I probably will always carry it with me a little bit but like how is this affecting you know the families that that were involved that aren't in, in our in our band that we don't get to talk to every day. Like it's it's a farther reaching scenario than than just, you know, the five of us in the band and our five crew members, you know? Uh and and part of that part of that guilt weighs on me as well. You know, like that Greg was hired to do a job and drive us everywhere. And to the best of my knowledge, uh, the driver of the semi was also just doing his daily job. And then they, and now they're not with us anymore. You know, I, I just can't, 
it's hard to wrap your head around why this would happen to anybody. He was so depressed that he he would spend his whole day downstairs in the basement at that point um, in our in our first house in his studio. And the first thing that I would do when I would come home from work would immediately run downstairs to make sure that he wasn't dead. I was so worried that he was so low that he was at the point of suicide. I think that that was the mental health aspect of it was by far so much harder to process and to go through with him and just trying to be there for him. I I started dealing with like hypervigilance, which is just like feeling like I need to be like on guard all the time. And I, it's like I, I have like a irrational sense that like death is like always around the corner. It's like it almost feels like those Final Destination movies, like I cheated death. So it's like certainly going to come back for me in any moment. You know what I mean? So it was like out of nowhere, I like stopped feeling safe in my own home. You know, like I'd hear any creak in the night and it's like, well, I have to get up and like check the whole house to make sure nobody's there. Or, like I'm walking my dog at night and I'm like constantly looking over my shoulder and it's like it's keeping me from sleeping and like keeping me from like enjoying regular daily life um it's gotten a little better but to say that i've like completely conquered that would be false you know and then it goes to like i don't think the idea of getting back on a bus necessarily is scary to me because i think i can accept that that is like what we went through was the most freak coincidence of an accident possible but I think any scenario where I'm not in control, which is, like I said, being a passenger in a car, even now still is a little rough for me. Uh, but for the first few months after the accident was terrible. I, I couldn't handle it. What's gotten really hard for me is flying, which I've been flying places since I was like five years old and it's never been an issue for me. But being in the air and the feeling of turbulence feels so similar to the feeling of sliding to a stop on in, in the bus after the accident that it like sends me into full-blown panic attacks which has kept me from doing a ton of traveling since the accident you know like I dread having to go anywhere <laughs> and, and I know it's irrational but I just can't control it I've talked to therapists. I've watched YouTube videos about it. One of my like closest friends is a pilot, and he's been like, "Oh, dude, turbulence is fine." It, I just can't help it. It's the only thing that like immediately snaps me back into that moment. You know, I used to have like visions of getting in an accident when I started driving again, and I used to like have dreams where I'd be like just falling asleep, and then all of a sudden I'd like get hit by a truck and wake up you know like I, I had all of that stuff in the beginning and most of that's gone away but the only thing that's lingering is still the flying that turbulence just feels so so similar it, I, I can't even describe it he just wouldn't talk like and when he would talk it was just very like you could hear in the tone of his voice that he was just sad and didn't know what would come next. My assumption was he probably just didn't didn't know what the rest of his life would look like. I mean, I know that he was happy that we got married and that we would 
start our family eventually and continue moving forward. But his music is one of the largest parts of his life. And that's been his life before me. And so to have that completely stripped away in a matter of seconds and to get a better understanding of that, um, I think after the he had physically recovered, I think it really hit of like an, oh shit, <laughs> I could be done forever. I tried to help as best as I could, but he just, he wouldn't even talk. Like he wouldn't talk about it. Uh, so just very sad. I, I don't even know how to explain it other than just <laughs> sad. It's been tough and it's changed a lot of things about our relationship. <sighs> like for instance, if she calls me and I don't answer, she immediately starts to panic. You know, like she carries around the baggage as well. Uh, but she also had to see me go through some of my lowest points. It's both made us closer, but also in a in different ways like pushed us apart a little bit as as terrible as that can she it's made her really apprehensive to like handle certain things with me because uh, she's afraid of how I'll emotionally handle them <sighs> yeah it it's changed everything it's you know n nothing of our relationship is exactly the same as it was pre-november 19th Andrew had been so focused on his recovery and getting back to drumming, he had managed to avoid many of the mental health problems that the other band members were experiencing. But in truth, Andrew had only buried these problems and they finally caught up with him. The first Christmas a year after the accident, I was at home recovering at my family's house and I, uh, some, some wave of just um, depression and anxiety just, just came at me really hard. I, 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 stayed in bed all day Christmas day and went to have Christmas dinner with my family and I just started breaking down and crying I couldn't even eat and I just had to leave and I yeah I went through a, a heavy bout of of um pretty bad anxiety couldn't sleep felt like I couldn't breathe I've and I've I had never experienced anxiety before and it just hit me and a doctor had told me he said, uh, yep, I've been waiting for you to do this. You've been spinning and spinning and spinning, and now you crashed. This happens. So, yeah, it was this roller coaster, this wave. It was like ups and downs, ups and downs. And that played into having bad thoughts of, you know, not wanting to continue with the band and just have it be over with. And then back to, like, no, you know, I want to I want to conquer this and beat this, like, a roller coaster of emotions. In the first part of this series, I told the story of how the band grinded for years to create their success. The grueling tours, the tight economics, and how finally they had started to break out when the accident happened. I felt that this was important because I knew that there would be people listening to this who wouldn't know the band, who wouldn't know about the years of struggle. There was a lot of anger. There's a lot, a lot of anger just because, you know, we were, we were all innocent, you know, like, like you didn't do anything. We we're just asleep on the bus. And then it, you know, 
that can happen. You know, like it's just, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of anger and a lot of why me, you know, but I think if you live in that headspace for a long time, it, it, it can take over who you are, you know, and I didn't want to change who I was as a person. If I lived in the, the why me, what was me feel bad for me? Like, God, like, like, like I'm angry that this happened. Like if I lived there, it's just, it's not a good place to be in for anybody, you know, no one wants to be there. No one around you wants you there. No one you interact with wants to, wants to, to deal with that. I mean, there were of course times when I was frustrated. I was angry. I was upset. There were of course times I was depressed and not so much just about me, but about like, about everything, you know, like I, it's not fair that Andrew lost his leg. You know, that's not fair. Like that, that pissed me off too. I was like, I was like one, one minute he's, he's drumming, killing it. You know, one of the best drummers in the metalcore scene. And then he doesn't have a leg anymore. That's, that's fucked up. It's not right. It's not fair. Bands would always be gone. Like that's what they did. There's a million other buses in the world, a million other touring bands in the world. Why did this happen to us? Why are we here? The kind of situation is just like, if you live in that headspace for too long, it's 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 not good, man. It, you can go down a very, very bad route. And I think with any traumatic experience in your life, you're, you're going to go through those range of emotions, whether you want to or not, you know? And I, I just knew I didn't want to stay there. Before the band could even think about getting back to playing their instruments, they faced a significant period of rehabilitation. And for Jonathan, alongside the physical injuries, he also had to rehabilitate from his brain injury. I spoke to his girlfriend, Kim, about what this was like. It was really, really difficult um, when he was in the nursing home. I think some of it was coming off the drugs that he was, he was like sedated for, for a while when he was in El Paso. But he really was a different person. Like I, he, I can compare him to speaking to a child sometimes. Like, you know, when a child gets really excited to see you and they like throw up their arms and they want you to pick them up. Like that's how he was when I first saw him in the nursing home. And I remember leaving him one night and sitting in the car, speaking to like whatever would listen to me, like, please just bring him back. That's how bad it was. Like I, I, there was no telling if he was going to recover and be himself again or, or, or if he was going to remain in that stage. The rehabilitation for my, for my head was doing a lot of uh, little games. You know, like I did games that you would do as a child, you know, like um, whether you have this little, little white, it's like a board and you have a little white car and there's a bunch of cars like blocking the exit and you have to kind of like maneuver the cars around to be able to get the white car out out of the, the puzzle. And I did that. I did three of those a day, every single day I was in the hospital. Like I did those all, all of the time. And there were just word association games and, and, and memory games that I, I had to do. Cause it's, it's, it's really weird to rehabilitate your, your brain. And for a while I would say things, I would say things wrong. Like I would be like, my pillow, you know, I was laying on, I couldn't, I needed it to, to, to feel right. And I would look over to the nurse or to whoever and I'd be like, can you, can you fix my, uh, my, uh, helmet? And 
know, for a long time I had that. And I still, I still kind of have that. Like, I don't think my brain's fully, fully recovered in the same way that I, I don't think I'm the same person mentally that I was prior to the accident. I mean, overall, I think I'm finally at a place where uh, I'm as good as I'm going to get, you know, which is, which is took a long time to, to come to grips with because all of the recovery and stuff, you know, you're, you're thinking you're like, okay, cool. Like I've reached this next step. I've reached this next step. And you, you you know, you think you're going to get back to where you were and then reaching a point where you're like, okay, this is as good as you're going to get. And you're not going to get any further. Like that's hard realization to come to, you know, to be like, this is how you're going to walk. Now you're not going to be able to run. You're not going to be able to to jump. You're not going to be able to do those things. And mentally you're going to be 95%, but there's still going to be that 5% that you're not going to be able to understand. You're not going to be able to get back. On top of his brain injury, Vigil was also dealing with ongoing issues with his ankle. For as bad as my my brain injury was, the the biggest physical limitation I had was my ankle. Because like I said, I had a compound fracture. So the bone broke through the skin. I lost all kinds of cartilage. I lost any kind of movement I had in it. It was it was basically just like just stuck and it got infected and it pushed the screws out of my skin so i, I just i got out of the the, sh- the shower one day and i had this like i looked in the corner of my and there was like this shiny thing on my leg and i'm like what the hell and i looked down and it was the screw got pushed out of my ankle like that's not right so i called my doctor had to go in for a surgery Uh, My ankle ended up getting infected again. The bone got infected. So I had to uh, get a thing called the pick line where they put put a a, a line into a vein in your bicep and it basically is a direct line to your heart and you're able to put antibiotics. um, You infuse them. You you put them on this, this line twice a day for however long. Uh, I had to do three different sessions of that. And uh, that was to get rid of the infection. So the last time I got infected, my doctor was telling me that I, I had to get a thing called an ankle fusion, which I, I was putting off forever because it's a scary, a scary thing to comprehend. Essentially, they, they lock your, bo- your bone in place because I had no cartilage. I didn't have the uh, ability to move my joint like up and down. My, my ankle was pretty, pretty bad. And anytime I would take a step on it, it was just bone grinding on bone. So imagine every single step you take, it, it's, it feels weak. And every single time you step down on your right foot, it's just incredible pain every single time. And I, I struggled back and forth with getting a fusion for a long time because I was like, this is going to severely limit me. But I had spent so much time in pain and the doctor told me, he's like, he's like, you're not going to get the kind of movement back that you think you're going to get. Like, you're not going to magically grow um, all this cartilage back. You're not going to magically be able to just have the movement you had before. So once I came to grips with getting a fusion, which I'm very, very happy that I got, <laughs> um, my ankle is completely locked in place. So my right ankle doesn't move up and down. I have a little bit of left and right movement, but it doesn't move up and down at all. It's just, it's just locked. The benefit being it's not bone grinding on bone anymore. So I take a step, it doesn't hurt. 
you know, I, I, I walk kind of heel, heel to toe, but you, you wouldn't really notice if you don't pay attention. And yeah, there's things I can't do. Like I can't, I can't jump and I can't run and I can't like have impact on my ankle, but it doesn't hurt anymore when I walk. For Andrew's rehabilitation, he would first have to focus on learning to walk again following the amputation of his right leg. I don't really remember the the first time, you know, they they got me out of the bed to do physical therapy. It couldn't have been too long after that day I was told about the leg, but you know, I had such a bad spine injury and I had just had a spinal fusion, so well, I was like 75 or 90 degrees up out of bed without a back brace on, which is like this turtle shell, the most fucking uncomfortable thing in the world. They'd have to like kind of roll me over and put that on and then like assist me out of the bed. And then, yeah, they would get me in a, in a wheelchair and the, the physical therapy after that severe of injuries is like pretty light. It's just like, they want you to get your blood flowing a little bit, you know, and you know, they just had me do like some leg exercises with just, you know, with my leg that I had and they had me do some stretches and kind of all stuff like from my wheelchair. And then there were times they even just wanted to get me out of bed to probably avoid bed sores and, and, you know, atrophy and all that. And they would just wheelchair me around. They took me like the outside of the hospital so I could get some sunlight and some fresh air. And they took me to like the courtyard area and like bought me lunch and and uh just gave me some sort of stimulation that I needed from the outside world after being in there that long but yeah it was it, the the physical therapy in El Paso was pretty tame compared to when the month later right before Christmas of 2015 I was flown closer to where I live now to Mary Freebed Rehabilitation Hospital in Grand Rapids Michigan and that's where I did the very intense therapy I can't say enough good things about that hospital. The they they just really get people back to life in such a such a beautiful way. They're a really really good hospital. And you know, my my therapy was man, I was there for um, probably over a month. And it all started off with a little bit more tame of stuff going into the grab bars and standing up and balancing on one they started me off with balancing on on my on my sole leg, and uh, then there were you know shoulder exercises that they had me do and stretches and stuff. And then it t- it, it actually um, I was in there for a month and I was mostly doing stuff like that. Uh, they would do paraffin wax dips for my hand to treat the sensitivity, the hypersensitivity, and then um, I was uh, discharged from from inpatient therapy to outpatient. So I was able to go home for the first time around Feb, like right at the start of February of 2016, went, got to go back home. And then I would, uh, they, they had a, um, a, a service that would pick me up. And it was this old man named Marty who would pick me up three times a week and drive me from my home about an hour away to rehab and back every single day. That's when the really, really uh, intense therapy started and it wasn't until mid 2016 and this is where this is where the win comes in is uh, when they took a casting of my my residual limb that I have and made the first kind of test socket now that part's called the socket that's what your limb goes in that's what attaches to you 
and then the the part that bends that's just that's called the knee where it, where the with the mechanical foot and all that when they made that test socket they brought in a a practice leg and i remember the first time i stood on it that that was definitely the most challenging thing it felt so bizarre and i was like scared i was in the grab bars and i was scared to like i was definitely scared to just even stand on it but then like that's what the grab bars are for you kind of just let easily let go of the grab bars and see okay i can balance but it took a i'd say about a week before i was like figuring out how to walk on it and i i posted a video a long time ago on my instagram of the first time i was able like with a cane to kind of walk around the facility without them like holding on to me that was my big win day uh so it was it was like the most challenging thing of my life and like one of the biggest victories within the matter of a week and then when i actually got my leg that it was mine to take home man i just it felt like I was like, well, I can get up and walk and I don't have to be in a wheelchair and I can like go walk. I can go do anything. Like I can go to the store and walk around and shop like it's possible. So that was, that was huge for me. I, I think I'm at the point of, yeah, just kind of living with my injuries. Um, gotten pretty good at it. I think I don't really let it affect me um, unless it's, you know, you know, if my dog runs away, that's, that's stressful because I can't really like run after him yet. I I did not go through the running part of the of the rehabilitation because I wanted to focus on getting back to drums at that point. As the band started to recover, they could finally start thinking about the ghost inside and getting the band back on stage. What really made me want want it again was seeing how how supported the band was reading these comments and seeing these people just like wanting us to overcome this, wanting us to succeed. As much as I want to give up for myself, as much as I don't want this, I want to move on from this, I can't. This has grown way past me. As time went on, I just realized I missed it so much. You know, I missed the interaction with people and I missed playing music with with my friends and I missed, I, I missed the spotlight. And a big part of it for me was honestly, Andrew, the fact that somebody, you know, a drummer of all people losing their leg, he wants to continue on. He wants to keep playing drums. Like what excuse do I have, you know, but he has to to not only play how he used to play, but figure out how to play with only one leg. Like that's, that's crazy. And then once I realized how bad the other guys wanted it. I, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't give up. The conclusion of this story, part four, the comeback is out next week. I think that was the moment we all knew that, that yeah, this, this can be a thing again. All of those feelings of, of what if and all that uncertainty just, just disappeared in an instant. I consider this the victory over the scenario that just could have completely taken it all away from us. <laughs>